Welcome to another episode of Love Notes. This is Taquita Love, a nurse and a comedian. You think you could bring your brother the clear machine home? You know the revival. <laughs> and I'm talking to my funny friends about medical mishaps. Clear! You are listening to Love Notes. You guys, I want you, I want to welcome to Love Notes none other than the hilarious, energetic, firehouse of a comedian, Sterling Scott. <laughs> man, I really appreciate that intro. <laughs> I was wondering if you'd remember that, man. That was at the parlor in Seattle when we auditioned for um, uh, NBC Diversity. Yeah, that was wild, man. I drove yeah. all the way down. I drove 12 hours from Canada to Seattle just so I could do that audition. And I only had a three-minute uh, three <laughs> three performance. <laughs> The stuff we've done, man. God damn. Oh yeah. What was um? <laughs> so I know that's that's how I met you. I can't. I know I didn't make it to the second round. I made it to the um. I made it to the the final night. Uh, the the night before that you go to the to, to L.A. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't get picked. I've made it to that part uh every time. Uh, okay. I've, I've I've done it uh, three times now the NBC diversity and every time I make it to that uh that final night mm-hmm. and then I never get selected to make it onto the finals but I mean you just got to keep swinging until you hit something right you only got to hit one time in this game in order to make it and yeah and you pretty much need one person to be like he's good you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? and you just need that one person to follow through with it because uh in 2016 I did get I did meet Kevin Hart I performed on the I performed on season one of LOL at JFL yes. and um, I was in season one episode one and um, when I finished uh, Kevin Hart himself came backstage to find me and he was like you are phenomenal he's like you are an amazing comedian thank you so much for being here and then the very next day I pitched to him a TV show idea and I got a development deal with the LOL network yes um, but then the LOL network man looks let me tell you something. When they tell you when Hollywood is hurry up and wait, that's what it is because they made me rewrite the pilot episode uh, an unprecedented like 10 times and <laughs> then change the entire jet direction of the network. Uh-huh. And then they asked me to write different sketches, scripts instead. I wrote uh, eight. I got rejected eight different times. Uh-huh. On the last time I went in, they accepted the pitch. And then I never heard from them again. <laughs> and that was the end of that. But that, that was in 2016. Yeah, that, it is. Uh... 2016, but I, I was in meetings till 20, the summer of 2018 is when, you know what I mean? I felt like I was just being given the runaround because I was flying out to Los Angeles on my own dime to sit down with these people and pitch these TV shows, get rejected, get on a plane, go back home, write again, come back again, and just keep doing it back and forth. I was in all over the place trying to get this show going because I thought that, you know, I mean, at the time, Kevin Hart had, was at his highest level. He had just done uh, a football stadium, unprecedented right. football stadium, sold it out in Philadelphia. And this is the same guy who's now standing next to me saying, you know, in quoting in newspaper, uh, newspaper, there's a newspaper article about him talking about me being like, everything this guy does is hilarious. I don't know what it is about him, but this guy is, is, is for real. And 
uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to make it. Uh, I made it. Kevin Hart at his highest level. You know what I mean? That's kind of like having Beyonce tell you that you can sing. Uh, so, I'm like, when are you going to put me in a, can I sing with you, Beyonce? Can you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, but then nothing came of it. But um, it just allowed me, you know, it just reassured me, though, that my journey is real and that uh, I'm on the right path. You know what I mean? Because you're going to meet a lot of comedians in this game and um, very few of them will ever really do a lot for you. But um, when you get to meet, uh, uh, you know, Kevin Hart's comedic rock star and at that level for him to come and look for me, like actively search me out backstage, was like, do you guys know where that guy is? And came and found me and talked to me. He's very short. He looked like a strong 14 year old. He just, (laughs) you know what I mean? He just looked like he played football in grade eight. Like, (laughs) But he was a super, super nice guy and uh, one of the most positive people I ever got to meet. Uh, his energy was amazing. I'm thankful for the opportunity. I'm thankful for the shout out he gave me because yeah. um, I'm still using that credit to this day, baby. <laughs> you know what's crazy? When I met you, you know, your energy was ridiculous. You, it, I, I, I hadn't heard of you. And it was like, yo, who is this dude? And then I think we connected because I have friends in Canada, actually Toronto, um, and I think that was like the, the link that was like, oh, we had, yeah. we had multiple links. We had the friends in Toronto and our major link was Ida Rodriguez. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Because, because uh, I had just worked with her in Canada mm-hmm. and uh, I was like, oh, I know. I'm like, oh, I worked with this lady. And you're like, oh, my God, I love her. And then we messaged her. And she was like, I love both of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she. Yeah, that was it's so dope. Speaking of her, she is doing amazing i mean she got on that uh netflix um with the she ready and yeah. uh just been just tearing it up with so much different things and i'm so happy for her man and yeah. she's like a, a genuinely good person like whenever i was doing auditions in la she'd come down and watch yeah and so you know what i mean like uh, that kind of love you know what i mean there's nothing to gain from it it's just uh there's nothing to gain from uh hanging out with me or anything i'm not anybody special so to have somebody who really cared and actually looked out and came down and, and, you know, showed some support her and uh, Emery. uh, They were fucking gems, man. And just thank you for them. A lot of my jokes come from dark places and like, you know, like she, you know, she would encourage me. Don't give up on that joke. When I was a babe in comedy, like a little itty bitty baby. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, she kind of, you know, you, you give people the game by like showing by example and also by like, you know, little pull-ups or, you know, like maybe I'm hosting the show and she's on and we talk about life and it's, I mean, she's dope. So I think that was Ida Rodriguez. You were the link for me and Sterling to become. I remember we called her at the bar and she was like, ah, (laughs) and that's also when I was very young in comedy. What year was that? I think that was like 2014, 2015, something like that. It was, it was a long time ago. It was a long, well, for us, it was a long time ago, man. Because right now, I'm at 13 years. Uh, okay. as, as of September, I've been doing comedy 13 years. I've been professional, like full-time, no job except comedy for the last, I'd say, eight years. Oh, okay. That's dope. So um, uh, I can't remember when I did that, but I know when I was, I still do all those kind of excursions where it's like, you know, because being a comedian from Canada, it's like you said, people don't know who I am. And in Canada, they don't do too much to try to embrace their their talent. 
And so the only way to try to get out from under the thumb and oppression of uh, clubs and shady agents and horrible road tours was to make a name for yourself so that you can write your own ticket. And right. the only place I saw that happening was in America. Like your your hustle, your grind, your work ethics in America, it's beautiful. And um, it really is uh, a land of opportunity because if you put your head down and grind, you can make something of yourself. Like a lot of the people who I met uh, and worked with uh, have gone on to do amazing things. I was uh, in competitions with uh, Matthew Broussard, who uh, ended up, is now working for Comedy Central and was on different specials. I worked with um guy um, who ended up getting a TV show and uh, uh, hosting the, 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 the big gay TV show. I can't remember what he calls it. Um, I worked with Tony Baker, uh, who is now, you know, not only is he hilarious in person, but his online persona. I work with uh, yeah. Ryan Davis. You know what I mean? Like the list goes on yeah. for all these people who I've met on all these journeys who yeah. I've seen grow and blow up and do well and deservedly so. And so I know if they can do it, well, then I can do it too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for Kevin Hart to come find you and, you know, not be intimidated by your height. Um, <laughs> and it'd be like, I mean, you, you know, you have the, the talent, like hands down. And I think what you mentioned was that like a lot of it has to do with uh, location, opportunity, networking. And in I, the whole hurry up and wait thing, you couldn't have said that better because it's kind of like, like uh, when I, I did laughs on Fox, right? And I was just like, oh, I made it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I remember laughs on Fox. <laughs> and then, you know, I was just like, you know, but that's not, you know, it's such a journey. And it's like every step of the way is necessary for the next step, you know? Mm -hmm. like, it's kind of like the fact that you pitched all these things and it didn't, it didn't, you know, it didn't blossom yet. You know, it could just be setting you up for something else. Like, would you produce your own, you know, web oh, yeah. series? Oh, I mean, definitely. I've already actually, I've actually um, been thankful for that because of the fact that now I've been writing my own uh, pitches and been pitching now. And now because I've been in so many of these meetings, I know what they want. I know what, uh, you know what I mean? I know what a pitch deck is. You know uh -huh. what I mean? I know how to present. I know how to perform. You know what I mean? Like, you got to know how to do the dance. It's not like... When you go in, there's like a certain way and format and style that these people like to see in order to to get the idea of your TV show. And basically, right. you got to, you know, at first I was going in being like, all right, I'm going to hit them with this, you know, stuff that they never heard before. And they would always be like, we don't know what you're talking about. And it's like the way that you would have to pitch your TV show, you'd have to then relate it to a bunch of other TV shows. You're like, okay, we got a little bit of something like this that's going on like that, and all right, and it's going to be centered just like how we did like this, all right? And then you know you got to give it some, you got to spoon feed it to them because the sad thing about our industry is that it's not artists who are paying for the production of art. It is exactly. artists asking for money from people who don't know what art is, and all they know is what a trend is what's trending, what's happening, but they have no clue what is actually good because if they did, then TV wouldn't be dead. You know what I'm saying? But unfortunately, that's the way it is at this moment. But I hate it, the fact that, you know what I'm saying? Somebody who cannot do what you do is going to tell you what you do, if it's good or not. That's you know crazy. I mean? I mean, I feel like that's true 
uh, in a lot like uh, life in general. It's like, you know, um, with, you know, me and my background of being a nurse um, and the whole pandemic hit. And then there was, you know, this thing about PPE and running out. And I'm like, the people making decisions on the PPE, you know, are not the ones on, on the front line, you know, because it's yeah. it's because like uh, I seen videos with people wearing garbage bags at work and, you know, like and it was something like you could wear your mask, you know, for two, three days or, you know, for the whole day, you know, and it was just like who making these decisions and these rules because it's not somebody that that's in the world. And I definitely could see the correlation with entertainment because it is like that. Um, you know, like I, I've had the opportunity to, to pitch shows um, and, you know, you learn that, you know, people don't want to read a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's one of those things too, with like auditioning, it's like, we know what we, you know, we, we don't know what we want until we see it. And it's that that's like a flip. It's kind of like, you know, we, we write a description of what we're looking for, but then normally you go in and you just be what it is that they look at. They don't know. Yeah. They don't know. They have no clue. And I think that that, yeah, cause it's like, you know, you want to make it easy. You want to make it funny. You want to make it quick. You want to make it, you know, you got solid, you know, and I think there's this, there's this stigma of we want something new. We want it to be old. Like, yeah. (laughs) An original that's already been done. You learn how to play a game and that, you know what? It's crazy though. Cause growing up, this is how the household I was raised in, you know, like my mom always taught me like how to interview for jobs. Right. And it was like, she gave me like a list, always asked a question and we would role play and she would be the, you know, the boss. And why do you want this job? And are you looking professional? And, you know, like all of that stuff in the interview, when you get to the job, it's, you know, none of that stuff really matters. You know, mm-hmm. and I was like, let me, you know, I, you know, let me just get in. And I think that's the game that people don't understand when it comes to business or show business. It's just like, you know, the people making the decisions, like you said, they're not necessarily the ones that are, you know, in the trenches and like know the comedy or the idea as much as you know it. So, or even I understand the process of art. Like, yeah. I understand they're like, they're the one, like you said, they're not in the trenches. They're just the one that cut the check. But the thing that is annoying to me is that they, what it is, is that they don't understand that the process of art is that there should be failure. I mean, uh, there's going to be uh, shows that are made that are terrible, uh, but it's in our mistakes that we find the correct answer. It's like when you tell a bad joke, right? When you tell a joke and it doesn't land, does it mean that the joke wasn't good? No, it just means you got to change a few words, do a few things, you know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden now you have a good joke, right? Yeah. But when the, with, the, with the creating process, they look at it like if they get something wrong, they get fired. Or I guess they lose their money. I don't know whatever the thing is. But uh, they they hold on to that coveted uh, TV deal. But the funny thing is, they will then pitch a TV show, which is terrible. And you know it's terrible because it'll be some stupid combination of trigger words that, uh, you know, is trending right now. And then they'll fail that show. And then they will be like, oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, because you're not an artist. You don't create. You just you just cut the check. So as much as that process was tiresome, it was, like I said, another chapter in the book. That's what I always call it, another chapter in the book, because nobody on their journey to success was just, everything's going right, everything's going right. Now I'm successful. Like every single person who's ever made it in this comedy game 
And in life, they've had to go through a whole lot of hell to taste yeah. a little bit of heaven. And so every single step I take, it that's not heaven is just another chapter. It's just, hey, yeah. it's just another page. Because uh, fortunately for me, uh, my passion is also my career. So yeah. even if I don't make it, I love what I do. I'm talking to you currently right now. I just finished headlining a comedy festival and recording an album, you know, it during a pandemic. And it's hard as hell to do these kind of things right now. Yeah. But it's like, it's the passion that pushes through and finds the way. Because, yeah. you know, if you really love what it is that you do, then you will find a way to do it. And uh, that's what this pandemic has taught me. It showed me who a lot of people who I know, I don't know if you've seen this, but a lot of people who I know in Canada, a lot of them, when the pandemic hit, they just didn't care anymore. They just were like, I don't even care about comedy. I don't know. And then other people got up and made stuff happen. I had a friend who started doing backyard shows. It Uh became so popular. He ended up doing 167 shows since uh may wow and he's just been on the road now doing these backyard comedy shows that guy loves comedy whatever he's trying to pursue he eventually will get there because when all the chips were down and everything was taken from him he created a new lane yeah uh podcast went through the roof fine good (laughs) give a voice to your comedic expression give us personality i love the fact that there's more podcasts because it lets me get to know who these people are individually so yeah. yeah, I'm okay with it. I'm like good with it. Keep going. You know what yeah. I'm saying? In response to what you were saying, is that like um, I learned that you know people people deal with um, stress in different ways. Like uh, you know, some people I knew they were just like work, 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 and some people are like it's it's the end. Let's just party it out. And like you really get to see how people operate and the work ethics that people have in times like this. You know, I still work as a nurse and it's a pandemic and I work in research. So everybody was like, I have nothing to do and I'm bored. And I was just like, you know, like I'm working, you know, yeah, (laughs) this is like a part of history and all that. But then on the other side, it was like the thing that keeps me balanced with being a nurse and dealing with, you know, people dying and dealing with, you know, the stressors of work is I can get on stage and I could curse a doctor out on stage. I can't do it. You know, know, and I miss the connection with my comedian friends. It's just like in some green rooms, it feels like I'm in my grandma's basement and we all chilling. I might not like such and such, but we all cousins. So they are part Mm -hmm. of the crew. (laughs) That stuff, it, it, it makes a difference in your life. And I think that's where I'm at right now, where it's like, you know, like how can I stay connected to people and comedically, but also get to know them because look, I've been learning so much about people during these podcasts, and I don't think I ever learn in a green room. Maybe a road trip, but not in a in a green yeah, room. The road trip is the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you really get to meet the human behind the jokes, right? Like you're crazy as hell. You're like, oh, this guy's crazy for real. Okay, all right, all right. You're annoying. <laughs> um, I know you mentioned uh, that you worked before comedy. What did you do before comedy? Uh, before comedy, I was just pretty much like a working hand. I, I uh, was uh, a pipe fitter, which is a person who builds pipes that transport um, fuel. So like I build pipelines for the for oil and gas and, and coal and water. Uh, and then before that, I was uh, just working in any factory job, any 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 warehouse dumb dumb job 
that just needed a warm body. That's where I was. And then uh, my final job before actually quitting was working at um, a gym. I was doing signing up memberships. Well, actually, I didn't sign up memberships. <laughs> Literally, you're supposed to do 20 memberships minimum per month. And they would call me into the office and they said, Sterling, what is your goal this month for memberships? And I'm like, 20. And they go, that's the minimum. And I go, nobody is trying to overshoot right now. <laughs> and they were like, what is wrong with you? I never, ever made the minimum amount of sales. But they Shut wouldn't up. hire me because of the, my attitude, my personality. It was genuinely my office was the party place. I literally had managers chase employees out of my office close my door and then sit down with me for the next half hour laughing. And I'm like, you guys are all problems. That's, that's when you know your gift is what it is. Like when it's shines everywhere. Like I had a patient um, that I, I, I rapped to. Mm -hmm. um, and it, this was so crazy. I was a travel nurse and, you know, I'm at work, you know, like, and I worked with kids with cancer, um, pediatric oncology, that's my background. Mm -hmm. And I had a patient who was like a teenager and like, literally, like, uh, I'm from Chicago. He was from Chicago. I was working in, in, in LA at the time, but, uh, we had rap battles and it was just like, that's when I knew that like, you know, like I'm going to give you this, you know, I'm going to give you this narcotic and then we finna freestyle. Like, and it was <laughs> like that part of me, like you know, it doesn't go away. And like, it becomes more apparent the more that you be comfortable with who you are. Mm -hmm. But that's dope. That's dope. I, <laughs> I could see you, um, you know, selling or not selling memberships. Yeah, but not selling a damn membership. <laughs> I had people in my office every day laughing and then they would just go home. Cause I, I didn't really, you know, like in the gym, what they do is they first got to sell you on their own lie. And then that way you can believe in it to sell it to another person. Mm -hmm. And the same selling techniques that they were teaching us to use, they were implementing on us. And I would be sitting in the meeting whispering to my manager because my manager uh, was a really good salesman. He was such a good salesman that they gave him the general manager position in his own gym. And mm -hmm. so I'm sitting there and I'm listening and I go, hey, you know that they're doing everything to us, what they're telling us to do to the members. And he starts laughing and he goes, how did you see that? And I'm like, well, literally, they're they're selling us this idea. They're, they're The gym literally told me that it's okay to lie to people to give them a membership because you're saving their life. And I'm like, you're lying to me. <laughs> they believe in if you take care of your body, it could help save your life. So yeah, no, it could, it could, but they would tell me it's okay to tell somebody something like this, ma'am, if you don't get in a gym right now and sign up and take this uh, training from this personal trainer, you will die. And it's like, no, they're not going to die, but it would help them. It would benefit them. But that costs $3,600 for that package. And not everybody's just walking around with that when they walk into a gym. And so I would get that. And I'd be like, look, man, you can just buy a membership. And just use the machines. Walk around a little, man. Just be active. Sweat 30 minutes a day. And they're just like, why are you giving away information to the people? Just let yeah. them come in the gym. And I'm like, well, because, you know, they're poor. It was $3,600. That is so much money. 
that, and what kind of gym? <laughs> and for the average, could you imagine when you walk into a gym, you're thinking what, like a 50 bucks a month? And I hit you with a $3,600 bill. You're like, I don't know if I'm ready for this commitment. My car is not worth $3,600. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, but I... <laughs> yeah, so I didn't like that, the, the, you know, I, I felt bad for people who couldn't afford it. And I just gave them an alternative in which they didn't have to spend money. Unfortunately, that was not my job. My job was to get the money. <laughs> and I wasn't good at it. But um, they were really nice to me. They let me go to Iraq. I uh, took off work for a month and a half to go to Iraq, Dubai, Kuwait, Afghanistan. They let me go. They let me go and pursue comedy. They let me leave every day in the, uh, an hour early because I was getting paid on salary. They would let me leave an hour early to get to shows. They didn't care. And then eventually I made more money uh, doing comedy than I was at uh, the gym. And then I let the gym go. And when I let the gym go, they hired me to do their Christmas parties. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, and I was laughing because I was like, the only thing I ever sold was this show to you. Dope. That's that's so dope to hear that. Because a lot of times uh, people ask me, when are you going to stop being a nurse? And I'm just like, when comedy forces me to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't want to sleep out of my car. I don't want to be homeless. You know, like, you know, I'm not saying that that's the ultimate of what dictates success, but that's what a lot of people will, yeah. you know, they will portray. They'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, Steve Harvey was slept in his car. I'm like, God didn't tell me to do that, you know? <laughs> no. I you mean, know? it just it, more, I think, that is trying to show their dedication and right. uh, what they're willing to give. But you can make it without having to sleep in a car. Um, right. I'm very much like that, too. Like, I uh, I uh, worked in, when I worked in the oil fields is when I was making a lot of money. And I bought everything that I needed. So I own a condo and all that stuff. And Made sure I had everything set up. And right. then I started dipping into like, okay, let's try to be a comedian. Because you got to love comedy because it definitely ain't for the money. Because <laughs> the amount of crazy shows I've done in weird places, you know what I'm saying? You could end up broke really fast if, if you don't know how to handle your dollar. Exactly. Um, fortunately, in Canada, um, you know, like we have like a little sticker book of achievements that all headliners get which is like certain festivals, like like there's one called uh, CBC's Winnipeg Comedy Festival. That one's on national television. So if you get that one, that's a little feather in your hat. Then they have Halifax, which is also on national television. And if you get that one, you got a little feather in your hat. Then, of course, you know, Just for Laughs. Yeah. Um, right. Um, that's, that's the biggest one. And then you get other little credits like... Uh, uh, in Canada, they do know of the San Francisco comedy competition. Okay. And so I won that. And yeah. so that uh, being the first black person to ever win it from Canada was like a really big deal. So these are the little things that I had to do on my resume that right. would allow me to travel the country freely. So now yeah. at this point in my career, I don't even... I don't, uh, I don't even, you know, back, remember back when you used to like send out emails every month to try to get bookings with your avails? Oh, yes. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I'm at that point in my career now where I just get phone calls every month. Yeah. And they're like, Sterling, are you available? Sterling, are you available? And I'm very happy with that. Uh, exactly. But I want to take it to the next level, which mm-hmm. is where you break that glass ceiling and you have your own following that comes and sees you wherever you are. Because once you have that power, uh, you've you in my mind you've made it. 
Because, like, I was trying to break it down for the young comics. I was like, the comedy club doesn't exist without the comedian. But the comedian exists without the comedy club, right? Know your power. Because the manager, the agent, the booker, the comedy club, all of those things are are jobs that are created from what your talent is. And the thing that we've been sold on is that they're doing us the favor. They're not doing us the favor because if there is no us, there's no them. We are the ones doing them the favor, but we've been sold. We've been sold the lie. We became the pimp and the hoe, right? But during COVID, uh, it opened my eyes to how much these organizations don't do nothing without us. So the power is within us. A comedy club will pay you $100 to go do a night at a sold out show, right? With 400 people in the crowd. And the comics would be like, yeah, that's great. And I'm like, no, those 400 people did not come to see you. They came for the reputation of the club. So if Mm -hmm. you crush, they'll just say that's what the club does. But you will walk out that club and nobody will know who you are. Now, if you have a comedy show and you have 50 people who paid 10 bucks a head, that's $500. 50 people who came to see you is more valuable than 400 who came to see you, who came to the club. And so you see... Once you learn to build that 50, then 100, and then so on, you become more powerful. If I could do 100 people in any city in America, I would never need the club again. 100 people at $20 a head is $2,000 a show. And I can promise you guys right now, if you're listening, comedians at our level do not get $2,000 a night for a club gig. I can promise you that. (laughs) You'd be lucky if the whole week you get $2,000. What I've learned in L.A. is like, you know, it's a show business town, you know, doing a $20 spot, you know, at a reputable club. But then those people that you most likely want to be seen by to get some TV deal aren't in the audience in those outer skirts, you know, other states. But now you can you can turn your phone on and they can see you wherever, you know, like record your, you know your podcast, your, your web series, you can post your stand up. Like you are like, you're so accessible now that, you know, it makes sense to be your own business. Yes. Yes. And I'm, I, and that's the thing that I want uh, a lot of these young comics to wake up and realize because, you know I mean? A lot of them feel like they give their lives to the club that they'll end up making it. But the club is where you go to die. Like, all that happens in the club is you just end up being a host in Canada. You know what I'm saying? In Canada, that's all that happens. You just end up being the host at the end of the, at the end of your career. And it, it, nothing happens for you. They just drain you of all your life and let you go. Uh, well, they're outliers, you know, I mean, you're saying Canada, but yeah, I know like I'm saying in Canada, in Canada specifically, because like, for example, outside of Russell Peters, could you name one Canadian who does stadium tours? Just one ever in the history of Canadian comedy. Exactly. We've never had one. So our Canadian, like I said earlier, uh, Canada uh, has a really bad habit of not giving a platform for our comedians to become stars, which is why you saw me in LA. Actually, before the pandemic, I was actually looking for places. I was trying to find a place in the Valley. (laughs) Moved to LA. Yeah, I was. I, well, so I was staying with um, a friend. Uh, you know him, Keon Poli. Yes, yeah, killing the game right now. God, so happy for him. I met him 
when uh, I was doing my first time doing the San Francisco comedy competition. I didn't win that year. Um, Samuel Comro, who is on America's Got Talent, won that year. Yeah, uh, again, that year. So in that year, it had Samuel Comro, um, uh, Guy, uh, Matthew Broussard, and myself all on the same bill. So like I met him at that time and he was very young into comedy and he absolutely annihilated. And I was like, who are you, man? And he's like, oh, I just started. And I was like, I hate you. Like, how are you this good? But again, we connected immediately. And so he let me stay at his house. Um, him and Keenan. Oh, man, I love those guys. And that's how I met Tony. So it started with uh, and DC. So it, that whole click is just. Uh, man, just brotherly love, man. Those people are genuinely good humans. I am thankful to him. He let me sleep at his house for months at a time to just get my stuff together and never asked for a dollar of rent. He wouldn't take no money from me. He would, uh, he would give me, this is how much this dude is a good dude. When I would leave for the road to go, like, say I was like staying at his house and I'm like, I'm going away for two days. He would make sure I had snacks for the road. What kind of brother does that? That is a good man. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) A man with kids, because you know you need snacks when you're on the road. (laughs) And uh, so I was staying with him, and I was trying to find a place. So I was looking for an apartment, and our prime minister got on the news and said, if you are abroad, it is time to come home. And that's when I left. I was doing the um, Amazon Prime, Laugh After Dark. Uh uh, I was in L.A. to shoot that. Okay. And um, it was supposed to shoot March 27th, and uh, on March 6th is when the world went to hell. And, uh, yeah, I had to come home. But, yeah, I was in L.A., and, uh, like like I said, I was only in L.A. for a little bit of time, and I already seen there's progression in my career moving forward. I believe if, if the pandemic didn't hit, I would have definitely had a lot going on uh, in uh, in 2020. Yeah, I mean, you were already, you know, in the scene and you were already known. Um, You know, like I started, I did Red Clay Comedy Festival in Atlanta last year and I I got into Laughing Skull this year. Of course, they didn't have it. I did Big Sky Comedy Festival. I hear a lot of good things about that one. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, I was just like, oh, I'm on my up, you know, I'm on my um my upcline too, my incline too, because it was like I was starting to get into festivals that, you know, were necessary. And I don't say necessary, but great festivals with that networking component. And also to be recognized as a talent. Um, I made it to like the final, uh the finals in Big Sky where you perform in front of like a, you know, in an auditorium. Yeah. Or- and that that was the first time I did that. And it was like, you know, I was just like, I was really feeling like, oh, yes, it, 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 things were happening, you know. And then it was like, wait, hold on. Mm-mm, we canceling. Laughing Skull canceled. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> and then I had a headlining gig in Chicago. No, we, you know, all the clubs closed. And I was just like, I was ready. New York, I was like, you know, ready to like, you know, hit the pavement again. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, now I'm in the house now. I just like focus on writing and like. Uh, you know, producing my own stuff and then the podcast. I'm like, how could I stay connected? But um, yeah, that was a lot of the first, uh, honestly, the first month I just slept because I was tired. (laughs) I'm a road comic. And when I, in in Canada, a road comic is not just, you know, I drove two hours on the weekend. No, I mean, I drive eight hours, get out the car, do the gig, get back in your car and drive to another town. 
You know what I'm saying? Like I was, I'm a road comic, road comic. I do, you know, all across the country driving. So I was never really home. I would, I literally, I lived out of a bag most of the time because it was bags and hotels. Like I was that guy that can, I can pack a bag like nothing. You know what I'm saying? I know exactly what I need for exactly how many days and you just be out there. And so when the pandemic hit for the first time in my life, I didn't have anywhere to go. And so I took the time to relax. And then after that, you know, I uh, had my little mini vacation and then it came back and it was like, okay, now how do we make this work in this new world? You know, I was looking at all the other examples. I never really liked Zoom shows, but I was, I was impressed that people were trying, you know what I mean? It's, it's a, it's like you said, comedy requires that intimacy. And yet now we lost that part of the comedy because now you're just talking to a screen with no reaction, no people, no understanding, no grip, no, you know, no grip of who, who are you dealing with? And uh, what's worse is when you watch those zoom shows and people just be staring at you, you know, <laughs> and you're just looking back at them. It's just weird. Look, uh, unmute yourself. Can somebody say something? Cause I'm like, yeah, like, and they're just, they're just laying at home on their computer watching you like you Netflix. Like this is not live. And so comedians had to learn different skills. I was doing, uh, I tried one. I I, I didn't like it. Um, The the, the people liked it, but I, there was no connection, no response, no call and response. And so I didn't understand what was happening or I couldn't gauge because, you know, if something doesn't get a laugh, you could fuck you, you, you pick that up. You go, okay, you don't like that. Then, okay, I'll switch and say this and whatever. Right. It's like throwing your cards down when you playing space. Okay, you think you I bam. Yeah. Huh. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> but that that's it was just this new thing. And then I saw people doing podcasts. I started my own podcast. Huh? I said shout it out. You oh, know, my yeah. podcast is called The Comedy Reject. Uh, it comes out once a week. Uh and uh I have my dedicated 40 listeners right now. <laughs> Every week, my 40 listeners tune in, baby, and I'm there for them, and I love them. I think it's hilarious that exactly 40 people come every week and tune in to hear me. Because you know what? Uh, some people will be like, 40 people is not a lot of people. But you have to understand, man, that's 40 people who really are my fan. They really mess with me. They really care to, to, to be a part of whatever journey I'm on. And it, it makes me feel honored. To be honest, I feel honored that there's anybody listening to my stupid face. Because <laughs> I didn't know you did a podcast until... It's brand new. I'm only um 18 episodes in. So uh, it's brand new. Okay. Well, I'm definitely going to have to check it out. And I know you mentioned um, that you did an hour special and... Um... Yeah, I've just recorded. So in Canada, uh, in America, you guys have the Emmys uh, for okay. comedy. If you win an Emmy, it's a really big deal. Uh, in Canada, the equivalent is called the Junos. Okay. Um, and the Junos uh, deadline submission for comedy albums is November 6th. Now, this is a pandemic and not a lot of people have had crowds or stage time in order to develop an album. I was fortunate enough to get asked to do a festival in a city called Kamloops, British Columbia. That's where I am currently. I'm in Kamloops, British Columbia, as I talk to you. And I just finished the Camcom Comedy Festival. Oh. In that festival, they had um, a beautiful show. Uh, and I said, well, can I record my album there? Because they had an actual crowd. <laughs> and uh, 
I told them I'm going to record a corporate clean. Uh, for anybody okay. listening, corporate clean is where uh, when you perform for offices and stuff, you can't okay. swear or talk a lot about, you know, uh, sexual stuff. And it has yeah. to be clean. It has to be something that you can play uh, and everybody can listen to. Um, so that's what corporate clean means. So I recorded a corporate clean album. Um, uh, and here's the reason why, uh, I'm going to submit it to try to win a Juno, but also I'm going to open my own record label and I'm going to, uh, self, uh, produce my own album. And, uh, the reason why is cause I don't know if people realize how much the record companies rob you when you give them your album. Like they'll take 50% of what your album makes for themselves just for releasing your album. And some take even more. It's insane. And so I was like, well, Prince said it best, you know, own your masters. And so I'm going to open my own record label. It's called Sterling Records. And I'm going to release my first album on it. And it's going to be called Corporate Clean. <laughs> and that's it. And uh, I'm going to release it in America as well as in Canada. And I have a lot of connections with Sirius XM, so I'll get it in circulation. And yeah. um, you know what I'm saying? Like, it cost me about $400 right. to get it produced properly. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm not just out here with a cell phone and recording trash. I'm literally, I have like a sound tech and, you know, mics and the whole nine. Was it just audio that you yeah, recorded? Yeah, just a CD for this one. Um, because uh, <laughs> CDs... Um, and if you're a comedian listening to this, don't just put out a trash album when I say this, but a CD catalog will be what removes you from the working class because believe it or not, a good album in rotation makes between 60 to a hundred thousand dollars a year just from the spins on the radio. Wow. And so a lot of these comedians and you're like, how are these people not working uh check their catalog they probably have four or five albums Mm. Uh, yeah it's crazy there's a guy in canada and his name is ivan decker ivan decker is an amazing comedian he won a juno um for his comedy album he works only clean so because he works only clean his uh album gets played a lot on the american stations that only play clean albums yeah his album uh, generates somewhere between a hundred and a hundred and fifty thousand a year. You better stop. Let me. I need to get my <laughs> my album. My my very first album. Now you see, there's certain ways you got to cut your album in order to get maximum spins. I'll tell you about that later. My first album, I did not know all the tricks of the trade on how to get your album played in high rotation. So I just recorded a performance and mm-hmm. made it an album. That album pulls in for me. Uh, now, mind you, remember the record label takes fifty percent. Okay, so I pull in from that album fifteen thousand a year. Okay, and it only gets four tracks played out of the eighteen tracks. Four of them play. Four tracks are bringing me fifteen thousand dollars a year. That's dope. And, and you can imagine now if it was cut properly. Mm-hmm. Now I know because I, I sat down with the people at SiriusXM and I asked questions and they explained to me everything. Step okay. one is you can't just record it like a show because a show you'll do callbacks, you'll do crowd work, 
You'll do all different kinds of things. You can't do that on an album because okay. on an album, they play track for track. Now, the next thing is that the tracks, the length of them has to be over a minute, under three minutes. Anything over that or under that doesn't get played. The next okay. thing, you can't do callbacks because the callback is not necessarily going to translate because they're not going to play your whole album. So right. when the callback happens, it's not going to work. So that joke won't get played now. Uh, so there's all those different kinds. You can't um, you can't laugh a lot uh, during your sets and between your jokes. and You can't step on your laughter. All these different kinds of things, right? So it's very, a good album is very robotically made, right? But once it gets done, um, it can get all of the tracks played. You want to have it where all of your tracks are playing. And if it's clean and it's funny, which it should be, uh, it will not only get played on all the regular stations, but it'll get played on all the clean stations. And Laugh USA in America plays clean albums. And they also have, what is Jeff Foxworthy? They have a bunch of those stations that only play clean albums, but they play them in very high rotation because there's not a lot of clean comedy albums. Okay. And so by doing that, you have it cut properly. You can get all your tracks played. You have a clean album that can play in both Canada and America on both the clean and dirty stations. You've now made that one album make yeah. you sixty to $100,000 a year, every yeah. year, every year. I'm, I'm, you own your masters, you get 100% of that. And that's what I want people to understand when I say to them that you are the power and that for too long, people have been telling us that we need them and that they're doing us a favor. And yeah. I'm just dropping gems for you people listening so that you can <laughs> see how to make this money. Thank you. Yeah, Thank there's you. money, man. There's so much money out there. And they act like they be collecting all these checks and looking at you like, 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 oh, you're so lucky that I'm here for you. Meanwhile, they taken sixty to a hundred thousand dollars out of every comedian's pocket that has an album. Yeah. That's I mean, you giving a game. Like for real. Yeah. And I think that it's dope to share something like that, especially since you have an experience with it because um, you know, I do know comedians that make money off of their their stand up and their albums. Um, but then there's so many people that don't. And it's just like, you know, why are you homeless? And like, why are you, you know, because you already have the talent and that extra step that you just mentioned and the work that it goes into creating something that can bring income in. Um, I mean, it's dope to know that. Like, and it's something that I wish, you know. People don't really tell you that because it's like, yeah, and I don't like that they hide these secrets, you know what I'm saying? But like I said, just like how I was sitting down in that meeting with the gym when they were trying to sell us on the idea so that we could sell it to them using the same tactics. When I sat down in the TV production rooms and I sat down in the pitch meetings and I sat down with the record labels, I didn't just sit there thinking, you know what I mean? What, 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 what are they going to do for me and how far are they going to take me? I was like, where is their money coming from? Mm -hmm. How are you getting paid? Where are exactly. the checks coming from that you're cutting for me? And I started looking into it. And record labels are worse for music. You ever hear when people are like, oh, in music, they lost a lot of money? What happens yeah. there is the record label will buy you out. They'll say, listen, I'll give you a million dollars. But what that means is I'll give you a million dollars and then I own that record that you're going to make. Right. So no matter how much records that sells, you get nothing. Yeah. But they now, what people don't realize is 
if somebody likes one song, just one song, and it's in heavy rotation around the world, that's creating millions, millions yeah. for that record label. But yeah, you, you got the that. one million. So you're sitting there with the one million like, I did it. I did it. And they're like, yeah, you did, stupid. You gave it away. Oh, wow. That's, I mean, right there, for real, like, that's that's the mic drop right there. Yeah, don't, don't let them do that. Prince, this is what Prince was saying when he said, own your masters. Listen, mm-hmm. young comics. Take your time and make a quality album, okay? And when I mean make a quality album, don't rush out because I said all this money and now you're just like, I want to go out there and, and get that money. You know what I mean? If, if I can get 20000 a year, that's great. No, 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 no. You want to make an album that's, that represents you and stands the test of time. Yeah. All right? Don't do this for the dollar. Do it for the art. Okay? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm doing this album. How much money you need? <laughs> yeah. It's hard to say. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, please don't just rush. Because in Canada, that happened. In Canada, yeah. what happened was people found out how much money uh, Canadian comics were making. Because there's Canadians that live in L.A. And they don't work very much. And so we were always like, how do you live in L.A., but you are not performing very often and you're not, you don't have a day job? Then we found out that low-key, these people had four and five comedy albums, and we didn't even know how to start getting a comedy album. But they had four and five already. And so all the Canadian content that was playing is theirs. And so now we, is- hmm? Go ahead. Is this method a universal method or yes. is it just a no, specific? Universal. universal. You can go to any record label and ask for a deal and they will send you something that will say that they'll give you 50% for the performance and then they'll take 50% for the production. That's yeah. what you're going to see, the production and you're going to see the artist. So they'll be like, you get 100% of the artist's revenue. But we'll take 100% of the production revenue. That's literally 50% of your masters is what they're taking. Right? Oh, wow. And no record label is going to give you less than that. I promise you that. Unless you're really in with them, they might give you like a 10 or 20%. But that's very rare. That's that's like the Master P deals and the Jay-Z deals. Most of the oh, time, wow. they're not going to give you that. But if you release your own record label and you properly produce this album, then what you do is you take that album down to Sirius XM. You can go to New York and you can go right into the goddamn place. Trust me, I've done it. You can go right to Raw Dog. You can walk right into Raw Dog in New York and give them your album. And they will be like, do you want to go on the radio and talk about it or whatever? And then they will listen to it and put it in rotation. I have done that personally. So I'm not telling you guys. A fairy tale. I did it in Canada. So in Canada, the guy's name is Ben Miner. I go to him directly. And in the U.S., um, I go through um, the um, Sirius XM in New York. Okay. And that's what you do to get it started. And then you just keep doing that. Keep putting your things in rotation. Yeah. So the one thing I think 2020 has taught a lot of us, I mean, we already knew it, but like the content is king. Uh, It's just like you having your own, producing your own, owning your own. And, you know, like you just pretty much summed it up with like, if you have something that's sellable and that's yours, then you could reap the benefits mm-hmm. of what it, it will bring in. Mm-hmm. Fortunately for you, you know, you are a name that is known, you know? Um, and so, you know, I wonder for those who aren't known, you know, do you think that's still the best tactic to go by? For those who are not known, 
um, there's two ways to to be known. Okay, one is that you bring the following yourself. Any comedian that shows up with a following is a name. Nobody cares because comedy clubs are in the business of selling seats. They don't care if the person's funny or not. If a person's like, I eat potatoes on stage and 150 people are coming to watch, the comedy club is putting on the potato eating man over you. Okay? Yes. So <laughs> you either do one of two things. There was a girl I met who had just started comedy. Um, her name was Jonica Booth. Um, and she showed up to crack them up uh, with like 40 people. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I just started comedy. But she's big on Instagram. So her followers came out to the show. Guess who gets a spot? <laughs> Jonica Booth. Because you got 40 people in tow. You know what I mean? And then there was... Uh, the, so it's either you got to build your audience if you're unknown, which means you've got to really find a way to connect. Um, mm-hmm. Here's a tip that I used to do. Uh, every comedy show I would ever do, before the show begins, I would get there early. And I would put... Um, on every table, uh, uh, like a little card that said, I, I'm the comedian and here's my Instagram handles, follow me. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And I would put that on every table. And uh, when I'm on stage telling jokes, I would incorporate that those things on the table are to people to follow me. Like I'd write jokes that were like, this is why I'm not famous because you bastards won't follow me and shit like that. And okay. uh, I would build followers from every single show that I do. And mm-hmm. then I would throw independent shows monthly where it's now it's all about me headlining and yeah. my little crowds. I would make them feel like, like anybody that's been to a Sterling Scott show in Canada, you can ask them. It's a vibe, man. It's not like a reg- it's, it's a comedy show, but you feel like you're hanging out with your best friends. Yeah. And uh, it's just one of an amazing moment. My fans are, are amazing people that love coming to the shows and love hanging out because of the energy that I give them. It's not just I'm on stage telling jokes. It's like I'm literally in the crowd for most of the show, shaking hands and talking to people, doing shots, handing out joints. I do a lot of crazy stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Get on stage, they're like, that's our boy up there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. you could do that. That's step one, right? Which is bring your own fans. Okay. Mm-hmm. I promise you, you walk into any comedy club and you go, I got 50 people that want to see me perform, they will find you a date. Second, <laughs> At night. Second, yeah. The second, right now? <laughs> the second step is to collect all the Pokemon badges. Get all the credits, basically. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the cookie cutter credits in Canada, like I had listed, the JFL, Winnipeg, Halifax, when nobody knows you, but they know what you've done, that'll let open a door for you. So okay. when I go to L.A., um, when I first was going to LA as much, I would just sit there and I realized that all of my credits were Canadian and nobody knew what they were. And so I was sitting there with open micers and, um, the open micers think I'm an open micer and I'm sitting here like, Oh, I'm a grizzled veteran. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just from a different country. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So it's like, you have to get the credits. So television appearances, TV appearances, you know, high 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 ranking podcasts um a large instagram following which is sad to say but if you have a, if you have a strong instagram twitter or facebook following they will book you simply because they believe if you have a million followers and you promote on your network that a bunch of people are going to come out to the shows when they come to your town 
who yeah. Audi is. Most of the time, it does not translate that way. But again, the people who are in control of us are not the one in the trenches. They don't understand that good comedy is all that brings in the people. Um, so yeah, either collect the badges of credits, TV shows, you know, TV shows, movies, whatever. Because if you're in a TV show, guess what? You're going to get the headlines. I literally had to watch the dude from Stomp the Yard try to do comedy, uh, and they gave him the spot. Simply, the, 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 the lead actor in Stomp the Yard, the light-skinned dude. Okay. I don't know who you got. Uh, I don't know. Anybody listening to who knows Stomp the Yard, that's the one where Chris Brown got hit in the head with a brick and died. Um, so the lead character in Stomp the Yard is not a comedian, but because he was in Stomp the Yard, they gave him a set, and he bombed terribly. But you know yeah. what? He doesn't care because he'll still put him on again because he's the guy from Stomp the Yard. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you got to get a TV credit, a movie credit, um, yeah. some kind of acting thing. Uh, you know, if you get a high-profile writing gig, like I remember when Sam J got SNL, and yeah. that was that just after the SNL, it just locked in everything else, it just took off from there. Uh, yeah. Same with Jay Farrow, uh, uh, or um. Or, or Jack Knight, when he got uh, uh, all those people. As soon as they got a TV show, that was it. They're on headlining. All right. So those are the two major ways to get either TV movie credits to or to bring your own following on your own through networking, promoting, and marketing. Like if you're a really good promoter and you know how to bring people out to see you, all right, do it. And then create your own shows and the people will come. Um and then a third way is through social media. If you have a huge social media following, then people will then come and, uh, and, and, and be like, yeah, that's a person who's big. Like if you have a million followers on Facebook, they're going to put you on stage. So those are the three ways to do it if you're a young person trying to make a name for yourself. For, uh, get on TV, get a huge following, or be really great on social media. Those are the three ways I would say to do it. I think you summed it up. I think you summed it up. And thank you for dropping those those jewels on like, you know, the processes of like making money off your talent. Um super dope. Like I'm 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 like, you know, I I was I wanted to record my own album, but again, it's one of those things where like I was literally like, you know, I'm still I'm still working it out. I'm still making it what I want it to be mm-hmm. for the of what you said like you know like being your own boss and working for yourself and paying your own self um but everybody knows that i am a nurse uh that is my day job and that's the background of the world that i come from and i wanted to ask you which is uh a part of the podcast uh, if you had any like uh unexpected trips to the emergency room or any funny medical story <laughs> uh fortunately for me I have uh, not had that many incidences uh, of crazy stuff. Um, so for me, the my most uh, crazy trip to the doctor was... <laughs> uh, so here's how I found out I had twins. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm already glad. <laughs> so um, I have three kids. I have three kids. Me, uh, I have a 10-year-old son and twin girls who are three. And um, uh, me and the mother uh, separated. Before we separated, we were, I never forget the day. Um, so we had uh, separated 
And then uh, six months later, she calls me and she says, I'm pregnant. And I was like, I'm so happy for you. Uh, and she was like, oh, no, it's yours. And I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> Such a man thing to say. You know what? Well, Good. I was like, it's six months. I haven't, we haven't been together in six months. I, you know, I literally was like, congratulations. And she's like, no, it's your baby. I was like, I don't believe you. So then we go down to the office. And um, now I've only had one child. And there's only been one child in the womb. So, you know, I expected it to be the one child. So we go into the doctor's office and uh, on the screen, they're like, okay, so um, this is uh, uh, baby A and then uh, this is baby B. And I go, why do you keep saying baby A and baby B? And she's like, <laughs> you don't know? And I go, what, what do you mean? I don't know. I don't, what, what, do I, what do I not know? What do I not know? And she's like, oh, you're having twins. And I swear to you, a patch of gray hair immediately formed in my beard. <laughs> and I'm looking at, I looked at my baby mom and I said, you motherfucker. Like, I, <laughs> I said that to her in the yeah. office. And the doctor goes, do you guys need some time? And I was like, nah, we good. <laughs> I'm, she knew that she was having twins, yes, right? She knew the entire time and never said anything to me. <laughs> oh, my God. So... Wait, you say you already had a child, right? Yes, and then we already had one child together. Um, uh-huh. And then we separated. And six months later is when she called me and told me she was pregnant. And then we had twins. And uh, what was the call like? You know, like, what was, like, you, well, you say you thought she was lying, right? You was like, congratulations. You you moved on. I'm proud yeah, of you. Yeah, you know what I mean? You can you imagine not talking to somebody for six months? And then all was, well, well, we talked, but we talked about, you know, when it's come to the child, right? Like, so it's like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm picking him up and dropping him off. Like, we had the conversation. But I'm talking about, like, we never slept together. Mm-hmm. And for her to end up pregnant, you'd be like, what? This six months. There's a lot of time in between the last time we copulated. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. And then to hold it from you for so long. not No shade to her. No, because no I don't to her. And to, to be honest, my twins are the joy of my life and what's really interesting is one of them uh so they're twin girls they're not identical one came mm-hmm. out light skin and one came out dark skin shut up yeah <laughs> one light skin you could see them on my if you you want to see my babies go check my instagram they're crazy little children and i love them um uh-huh. uh, is mom light skin one is light skin and one is uh dark skin the mom is light skin mom, her mom is light skin so okay. one looks exactly like her mom and the other one looks exactly like me. <laughs> and the one That's that looks like great. me is is mama's girl. And the uh-huh. one that looks like her uh, loves me the most. <laughs> <laughs> it's very strange, man. And the one that looks like me is a lunatic. Like, she's just a ball of energy. Uh, she, But she also has scented women. Their brains are so much more advanced than boys. Um, my three-year-old daughter was jumping on the bed. Her bedtime is, uh, is, is 8 p.m. The time, I swear to you, was 11 p.m. And I listened and I could hear her jumping on the bed. And so I opened the door and I go, go to your bed. And she goes, I don't even want to be here right now. The only reason I'm here is because mommy left me here. Call her and tell her to pick me up. And I was like, the way she said it, was so matter of fact that I closed the door and apologized. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I was like, wait a minute. No, what's that? What do you mean? She checked you real quick. Yeah, like, she did it like I ruined her. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm the one that was doing the party file. I was like, it's 11 p.m. 
and you're jumping <laughs> on the bed in the dark for you're a lunatic. She's like, give me some cookies and milk too while you yeah, add it. And it's, it just blew me away. And then I called her mom. I go, who's teaching her how to speak this way? You know what I mean? These are toddlers. They're not supposed to talk to you like that. <laughs> but yeah, I, like I said, I don't get sick very often. I've never uh-huh. had the flu. I, uh, the only thing I've ever had in the hospital is I sprained my wrist one time. That's about it. I've never been in a hospital ever. <laughs> so, well, you know, like there's a difference in healthcare in Canada, though. Like, you know, doesn't everybody gets it? Is that that's what yeah, I hear? Is that we have true? universal healthcare? Um, okay. It's not the way people portray it. Like this amazing. Like, if you get shot, you go to the hospital. They go take the bullet out. It's gonna be free. Um, but if you have cancer, that's your ass. You know what I mean? You got to pay for that. Um, oh, wow. Uh, having a baby. Do you guys still have to pay for having babies in America? I think you have to pay for insurance across the board. And then whatever your coverage is, is what it is. But I think if you don't have insurance, I mean, they, I think they have to, you know, deliver your baby safely. You just get a bill. Yeah, no, we don't pay for that. We don't, we don't, we don't, you can go, you just have babies all you want. Just pop them right on out. Ain't no... <laughs> Ain't no charge for having babies. Um, so having babies in Canada is free. Um, if you wanted to go see the doctor, um, you know, if you if I went and I signed up for a doctor and said, okay, you're going to be my, my, my doctor, every checkup I go to is free. Anything they prescribe is free, but the medication you got to pay for. So, okay. like, do you pay to go see your doctor? Yeah, we, I have a copay, but, I, you know, I'm okay. sure well then, yeah, that does suck for you guys, cause like, <laughs> yeah, no, we don't pay for any of that. No, you just have with you just have your health card, and you give them your health card, and then that's it. That's how you get it. You just need to be a citizen of Canada to get the yeah, health card. Yeah, you got to be a citizen. Okay. For the longest time, our health cards never had our faces on it. Like we didn't have uh-huh. ID, ID, which is a piece of paper. And Americans would drive up and use health cards of their family and friends. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely like, you're not checking no you're not checking they don't know they don't, they don't care there's americans i know that live in detroit that have um family doctors in windsor <laughs> because they they cross the border and take their family's ids it sounds dope i mean like but you did clear you know clear up like what i thought i thought it was just everything you just confirmed that it's not it's not all, perfect, but I mean, it's like like we got to pay for your dental, you got to pay for cancer, you know what I'm saying? But like you're paying for the medication, you're not paying for your time in the hospital. Okay, you know I mean saying? that's still that's yeah. still because people put their houses up. Because my background is is oncology, which which is cancer, and you know you meet patients that like you know their insurance covers so much, but then they got to pay for all. And this hospital stays is everything. It's like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things where like people put their house up, they sell everything and they lose. Like it's it's really traumatic on top of being sick, you know? Yeah. Not like my father but- died of cancer. And, uh, you know, fortunately, being in Canada, the only thing that he had to pay for was the medication. Um, but I, the stress of, of, of going through cancer alone is is enough to, you know, kill you. <laughs> And to put on the pressure of losing your house and burdening the, your loved ones, that's insane. Yeah. Because, you know, my father, uh, you know, died in hospice care. And okay. that doesn't, they don't charge you for any of that. Like, you know, he, he stayed in hospice care for the last months of his life. 
And uh, yeah. yeah, that's a uh, we don't pay for any of that. There's no bills that come to you. Well, that's good. I mean, I think that's it. It should be like that because you know, my brother's actually a hospice nurse, and he 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 like visits people when they're at home, and you know, and they're on their um, you know, on their sick bed, you know, on their transitioning stage. Yeah, it's a very sad place to be. It's like who wants to, you know, hear, you know, like it's like we know they're they're here for dying, you know, dying, you know, peacefully or pain free at home with the loved ones. But who wants to deal with that and then be like, and here go your bill, you yes. know, like oh that's just, God. you know, yeah, it's it, it sucks. But I'm sorry, you know, that you lost your your dad, and my condolences to you. Oh, thank you, thank you. It's uh, cancer's a wild ride, man. Uh, I, I I tell people just try to eat healthy. Uh, I mean, man, everything gives you cancer nowadays, but you just gotta watch your diet, man, because that's like a lot of the things that uh, I was learning in his final days. You know, is mm-hmm. is your diet's important? Your activity, your life. You know what I'm saying how you carry yourself uh, can help you prevent cancer. Uh, but it, it's a man. Cancer is it's a rough one, man. Uh, I don't know how you do it, man. That's a thank you for uh, uh, putting yourself on the front line because of what you're working in, man. I really hope one day they figure out how to cure it per, per, for real. But for right yeah. now, that thing is ravaging and destroying us, man. Yeah, it's you know like so. I lost my grandmother to, to throat cancer, and I think it was caused by smoking. Um, and before I was a nurse, you know, like she was on hospice and I would like read her books and, you know, like I would cook, I learned how to fry okra cause she wanted fried, <laughs> fried okra. <laughs> um, and it was just one of those things where you just care for the person there. And it's like an unconditional thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I became a nurse, it was, I worked in pediatric oncology and it was like one of those things where like, if you don't know this world, if you haven't like lost somebody to cancer, or if you hadn't experienced it, like most of the nurses I worked with, some, you know, had personal experiences with it. Like I had nurses I worked with that were, you know, cancer survivors. And then I had people I worked with that lost family members. And I think that like that made it easier to care for people when they were sick, you know, and it made it, it easier to understand. Like yeah, the pain, the journey, have the empathy required to to allow you to, you know. Cause they don't want to, they don't want to see people being sad and crying over them. Right. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, you got to be aware that sometimes the drugs might make them loopy. Sometimes they might be in pain. Sometimes they might be depressed. You know yeah. You got to understand how to navigate. It's a wild ride, man. They're suffering yeah. every day. They're in pain every day. And yet, you know what I mean? Deep down, there's a little bit of hope that they might win, make it. And some of them, there's no hope. That's a rough place to be. Yeah. You know, my dad put my dad put a do not resuscitate on himself because he said yeah. I would rather die than do chemo again. Yeah. And, then, and you know, like the, how crazy, how painful it must have been that he was like, nah, dog, I'm ready to go. Yeah. You know what? You know, the, for those that don't know, uh, do not resuscitate is when you say, you know, like if I stop breathing, then I don't want any more. I don't want, you know, don't bring me back. Don't do anything to save my life. And, you know, with that um, in, in me working in that field in oncology, 
for kids to say to their parents, like, I don't want to fight anymore. That, those are the things that like, Ugh. you know, I, me as a nurse, but the thing is, there is so much joy. There is so much life. There is so much love. And it, it grounded me all the time going to work. Like I got dumped and then I go to work and I got a, you know, a, a new diagnosis of some type of cancer. And now I go in the bathroom and cry from being dumped. And then I got to straighten myself up because I got to, you know, like, yeah. yeah, what I'm dealing with, you know, can't touch that their life is about to change, you know, everybody in that room, the parent, the the patient, the family, it's so much more than people, um, you know, you don't know, like relationships fail because of dealing yeah. with a sick person and finances be messed up. And then it's the spirit and depression and, oh. you know, all that stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. a downward spiral. And yeah. uh, it's like you said, though, if you've gone through it, you know what I'm saying? The first ride is terrible. But then afterwards, you start to understand how to navigate and how to deal with the process, man. And uh, yeah. you are a strong woman because uh, <laughs> you're dealing with children. You know what I mean? Because like I have, like, man, kids are are the future. You know what I mean? When I see kids, I love children. I love kids. And to see uh, a kid, you know, being like, I'm ready to go, man. I, You know, before, you know what I'm saying? They didn't even get to be an adult. They didn't even get to live out their dreams and stuff. That just crushes my soul. So yeah, the fact that but- you are in the field to help these people. Uh, man, thank you. You are you are definitely a godsend. Thank you. No, no, it's, I'm good. Thank you. But I think that's what took me to to stand up. You know, because like it, the part of me that would be like, okay, like people need more than just like here's a pill. You know, and it'll be like, like I remember. I, did I tell you? Maybe it was you that I would freestyle with patients. Yes. Yeah, and then it was like you know. Um, just building relationships. I had patients offer me weed, like, you know, they want to smoke. <laughs> you know, and that's the type of stuff. It's like, you know, me, I'm the nurse. I'm not going to be in here talking about how oh, you can't talk. You know, I'm just like, you know, like, you know, I'm going I'm to roll you on in, in the garden downstairs. <laughs> what you need to do. And then, you know, then we go, <laughs> you know, it's like one of those things where it's like, you become, you like me being a nurse, like, you become a part of somebody else's world and almost like a family to them yes. when they're there so much. And, you know, like I have so many st- stories. Like I had a a patient just talking so in on a, on a higher note. <laughs> I had a patient that had like, uh, that loved the flavor of, uh, uh, what was, uh, flavor in New York. Who was that? Flavor Flav. Oh my you know, God. Remember? Yes. <laughs> this was a Caucasian boy surfer dude come into the hospital diagnosed with cancer and you know like me and him connecting off of watching flavor of love like you know they just like (laughs) you know and it's one of those things where it's just like you know like that is the place to like make people feel like they not sick you know like it is um and i think comedy helped me to you know just to explore the other parts of me uh, to love life and to live life and express how i felt about you know life and, and another way gives life man i literally had one time i'll never forget so uh it was christmas christmas boxing day actually to be exact it was boxing day at a comedy club and i was headlining in canada and um uh at the end of my little comedy show i say you know i sold my cd and i was like it's pay what you can whatever you feel this is worth is what i will accept and there's a man and he came and he gave me two hundred and fifty dollars. And I said, Sir, mm. I cannot take all this money. 
And he said, I was going to kill myself today. Oh, yeah. And I watched your show. And mm. you made me laugh so hard. And you talked about, you know, because I talked about a lot of different things. I talked about my, because I talked about how my dad died of cancer. Mm-hmm. And I talked about how I cope and how I dealt with things. And he's like, you know, I'm not going to kill myself. Uh, but this is all the money I have because uh, this is what you're worth to me. You know what I mean? And this is everything I have. And it can And uh, I was like, okay, because I still have bills to pay. So <laughs> I took the money. But like laughter, uh, the laughter that we get from our pain relieves the pain of the uh, in the lives of other people. Yeah. And so it, it's 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 great that we're able to to have this art, this talent, this ability. And uh, I'm thankful for the ability because I'm just like, man, how lucky is it that I just happen to be uh, English speaking and live in a country where comedy is an actual form of making a job. Like if I lived in Russia, I'd just be dead. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just like I'm thankful that I have this talent and that I have this talent and I can utilize it in a place where it can be monetized and allow my passion to also be my career. So I am thankful every day for the fact that I can make people hee hee and ha ha. Well, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful I got to meet you. I'm thankful for you being on the show. Um, and, you know, we're going to wrap up because we are out of time. Yeah. <laughs> well, that just shows how good of a conversation it was, man. <laughs> Thank you so much for dropping them jewels. You know, I can't wait to see you in in the in, in you know in real life. Well, as soon as these borders open back up, I'm coming right the hell back because I do hey. I do miss you. I do miss all of you, and I miss LA. <laughs> well, tell us in the meantime. Tell us, you know, where we can find you. Um, so I am. You're gonna. Whew. All right. So, like I said, my album Corporate Clean will be released uh, in November. So look out for that on Spotify and, and and iTunes and all your major streaming networks. Uh, it's a very good album. It's a combination of all my cleanest jokes put together in one hilarious hour. Um, I also have my podcast, The Comedy Reject. Give it a shot, man. It's where I come down and you just get a... a <laughs> just tune in. You'll hear. <laughs> it's a wild conference. The comedy reject is best described as what it's like to be my friend and hear what I've done for the day. Um, uh, and also my, my follow me on Instagram at Sterling's jokes uh, or on Twitter, which is also Sterling's jokes or on Facebook, Sterling Scott, the comedian or comedian Sterling Scott. Uh, okay. Follow me in any of them places. And uh, you know what I'm saying? I hope to see you guys in a crowd laughing one day. Hey, well, y'all follow Sterling. Um, look, Seattle brought us together. <laughs> yeah, it did. Seattle brought us together, and I mean, <laughs> kept us there. 